I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Matters. And as you know, the people that I talk to on our episodes really have a can-do, show-up attitude. And it's all about how they thrive in life and work, what highs and lows they experience, what challenges they overcome. And I often get my guests to give us their words of wisdoms, their favourite quotes, or the antidotes that have led them to where they are today. So my guest this week is David Groom. Now, anyone in the judo world is going to know a little bit about David but we're going to get to know him far better today. So, David, welcome to Thriving Matters Podcast. So, Good morning, what I'm, <laughs> David, what I'm going to tell listeners a little bit about your background. You're an experienced coach, mentor and facilitator, and you have a keen interest in emotional intelligence and mindfulness, and you have had a successful career as an elite-level athlete. Now, you represented Great Britain, for about 11 years in competitions and training camps in over 40 countries around the world, winning numerous medals and gaining not only invaluable experience, but also life experience. During your time as an athlete, you have experimented with different mindfulness and meditation techniques to build your practice. So you've been quite deliberate in building your practice so that you can work with individuals and groups who want to advance their AI behaviour, their emotional intelligence behaviour, to have more engagement in their personal and work life. So you're very active still in judo, and I think we're very fortunate to have you here in Australia with us. And listeners, you'll hear a little bit of an accent. So I will hand over to David and ask him first question of the day. David, what puts a smile on your face most mornings when you get up? I'm glad you added the most mornings because I think uh, it would be <laughs> disingenuous of me to say that every morning I, I leap out of bed with vigour. Yeah. Um, it's quite often the case if I have a judo that is uh, the first protocol is a, a damage report to see which parts of my body is aching and <laughs> if there is anything serious going on but uh, for the most part you know I get up and uh, I, I live with my, my partner Joanna so it's it's definitely nice waking up next to someone uh, that you you know love and care for so that's, that's pleasant and yeah we start the day with breakfast and if time allows for it I like to get out for a, a run and try and do a little bit of exercise in the morning uh, I find if I don't eat breakfast I can become a little bit of a, a grumpy monster so this is uh, <laughs> something I, I find very, very valuable for me. Mm. Uh, the exercise is, you know, getting out for a run, especially in, in Australia, the weather's beautiful and it, it seems a waste sometimes not to get out in the morning and, and enjoy that. Get up and get going, yeah? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's really nice because what you've just described is an early morning body scan to see how your yeah. body is before you start the day. And it is nice to hear somebody say, you know, it's nice to wake up next to someone that they love. So 
I'm sure Joanna appreciates that as well. What a great way to start off your day. You've already ticked nutrition, exercise, body scan, and relationships. That's to get you going. Well, at the moment, um, what would you say was currently serving you best in life? What do you think is really making the difference to how you show up each day? What have you got in place? I like to take a little time for myself, whether that's a meditation practice that I have. I try and meditate daily. Obviously, sometimes that doesn't always happen, but I like to read. I like to take a little bit of time just to, just to step back from the hustle and bustle of everything that's going on because sometimes we can really get caught up and mm. it, it can get away from us in the day, you know, with the emails coming through and trying to organize things. And just having a little bit of time just helps me center myself and keeps me on track. Great. And would you have someone in your life that you would look to for some motivation perhaps or interest in how they see the world and their world of work and their world of life and how that um, interacts together? Would there be somebody, I know I asked you for a couple of favourite quotes and perhaps there's one quote that links to a significant person, author, uh, identity, um, it could be a friend, family. Is there somebody there that you would look to? It's funny, we had this conversation. Uh, you asked me this the other day and I wrote down a couple and then I was, as quite often is the case when you sort of allow yourself not to, to be thinking too much on a question and all the answers start to flow. So after I sent you that list, heaps, heaps more sort of came to mind. And so one of the main ones, when I, was, when I started judo, on the wall at the judo club was a sign and on that sign it said, Far better to dare mighty things than to rank with those poor, timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. And later when I grew up, I realized, I found out that was a Theodore Roosevelt quote that had been chopped and changed. But that was quite a strong guiding principle as a, when I was starting off as a child, um, starting judo. And it was a philosophy that our coach really instilled into us. And this idea is just to go and try. Uh, regardless of whether you win, lose, didn't really matter. It was just the fact that you went and tried and put yourself out there and put yourself out into the world and had a go at something. And I suppose that's something that I try and now pass on to the people that I coach, the children that I look after at the judo club and any of my friends, you know, whenever they come and say, oh, I don't know about this, I'm like, well, go for it. Go for you know, it. Mm -hmm. What's the worst that could happen? Well, that's it. And um, how old were you when you started judo? And how did you actually get interested in it? Could you give us a little bit of the background there? So initially, I first started when I was seven, and I hated it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had a few, few different things going on, but I just, I just didn't like it. Uh, and then thankfully, a few years later, my little brother was at an age where he wanted to start, or he, he voiced an interest. And being the older brother, not, well, if he's going to do it, I'm going to do it mentality. Uh, I went along again and I'd matured a little bit in then two years and I found it a much more enjoyable experience and, and I've stuck at it ever since. Do you still compete? I do a little bit, yes. I find the process of competing an important process to go through. Uh, so I only do maybe two or three competitions a year now in judo and, I, and where maybe I used to do sort of 15 a year, yeah. maybe 20 yeah. a year, depending on, on that and mm. when I was at what stage of my career. Uh, so I still like to go through it every now and again, but not to the same extent by any means. So. Yeah. And those that you obviously coach work with young people. Yep. Over time, when you've got somebody who's learning judo and going up through the levels, yeah, what would you say 
becomes obvious about them participating, learning, putting themselves into the world of judo, what do you notice about them as they're developing as, as young people and young Australians? I suppose it's an attitude and it's something that's probably hard to explain verbally, but it's something obviously you, you can see quite clearly visually, you know, this, the attitude where, because it's say on the, on the judo mat, you're going to train against people of all different sizes and abilities. And as you're coming through, you're inevitably going to start training with someone who will be better than you. Mm. And you quickly see those that will get up, keep trying. They will try and get on with the best players on the mat and they will be willing to learn. And even though if you keep getting thrown down, it's a real sort of pick yourself, like literally you've got to pick yourself back up. And it's, you can see that attitude in certain children and individuals and irrespective of talents, because obviously that does play a, a partial role. For me, attitude is more important. And yeah. when you see that in an individual, you can sort of, regardless of whether they end up staying in judo and becoming like a, a judo, a high level judo athlete, but usually they go on to be successful in, in whatever they choose to focus their attention. Yeah. And you can see that in the way they conduct themselves. And would you have a breed of male and females, girls and boys? I mean, it is a much more male-dominated sport, as, yeah. as a lot of sports are. Um, but particularly with it being a fighting sport, you know, we do get more boys come in. But we do have a very large group of women that train at um, the judo club where I'm at, uh, which we're very fortunate to have because I know some clubs struggle to get that female interest. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the club where I first started in the UK, we had... So when I, when I first started, um, I was always a very large child, very tall for my age. And I was put on with, there was a strong group of women, probably some of the best women in Great Britain at the time. A lot of the number ones uh, and number twos in the, the weight categories. And I was, so my apprenticeship in the, the judo world was to train with them. And they would flog me for, for about two, two or three years. I was, but it, it really taught me how to be light on my feet and how to manage my strength and instead of trying to dominate them it meant I had to use more technique and skill and it really helped me with that and obviously the, the humility of getting beaten beaten up repeatedly by a group of very strong women for, for several years uh, definitely definitely helped in the long run. Well you know I was just thinking about the various reasons why anyone would come and be interested to learn judo and, and the skill base. I'm hearing you talk about are uh, these fantastic skills of resiliency, how to bounce back after being pummeled, after losing three years with the girls. Oh, you could have got a lot of stick from your, uh, your mates around that really. Yeah. Um, do you think there was any difference between training with them than if you had trained with men at the same time? Do you think you gained anything from being with the women? For those three years, it would have been different to when you trained with men. As I progressed, I did get to a point where I was training a lot more with the, the men of the group. But with the, training with the women meant that I wasn't able to use my strength or what strength I did have. Because even though they were throwing me all over the place, there was still the, the duty of care on my part. And I was quite a clumsy child. I grew a lot faster than my brain could keep up with. And having to really focus on keeping my body under control. And obviously, if, if I was ever close to injuring these women, uh, my coach was on my case, and, and rightly so. And so mm -hmm. it meant I had to keep in check, I had to be 
really focused. I wasn't able just to be mindless during the session. And obviously, I, I wasn't aware of what mindfulness was at the time. You know, I look back over my judo career and look at times at where I was indirectly learning some of these skills and yeah. putting them to use. I was just not aware of it at the time. Oh, that's you fascinating, know, isn't there. it? Yeah. Yeah. That's an, totally fascinating because if we talk about leaders in, in the world today, uh, aspiring leaders, anyone in a, in a leadership position, of which most of us are either in our families, in the groups that we are interested in or the jobs that we do. These are core skills because what you've just described then is being focused on what is my duty of care to those that I work with, those that I train. Yeah. And I love your point about being focused so you were mindful of the extent of you know what you could do to develop your techniques. So I could see an absolute advantage in you working with the women mainly for that period of time, a different skill set. Is that what helped you be so successful that you had a different skill set, perhaps a man who've just come up through male competitors and training. Definitely give me a set of skills and it gave me an appreciation that you can train with anyone and get something out of it. Like it, it doesn't really matter what the level is. You know, and this is something I really instill into the children that I coach is you practice with everyone because you can learn something from everyone. And you know, obviously you see the little kids and oh, I don't want to go on with her. And we really try and instill, one, a level of respect because it's, it's very disrespectful to say, oh, I'm not going to practice with that person. So, you yeah. know, we were taught to obviously be respectful of everyone. And also this idea that you can learn something from everyone because sometimes we can be a little bit dismissive and we can be a little bit quick to judge. And think, oh, well, what does this person, what can this person yeah. teach me? And another phrase, always be prepared to wear the white belt. So... I mean, I think there's in, in Buddhism, there's a, is it Shoshin, where it's the, the beginner's mind? Yes. And I think I've got that right. Anyway, so yeah, in the, in the Judah world, we have always prepared, be prepared to wear the white belt. So always be able to look at something from a beginner's mind. You're always able to learn something new. You're, you've like never that. reached a point of completion where there's nothing else you can develop or, you know, find out or explore. And so. that notion fits so nicely into, you know, this concept of emotional intelligence where all the research is now saying to us, if we continue to develop and apply our emotional intelligence to our rational situations, to our decision-making, to the way we interact with people, to the way we inspire ourselves and others, to the way we solve problems, that we just keep applying it and it just starts to build and we can't ceiling our skill base. We can't say we get to 100% full and we can't develop any further. That's a great yeah. example. Yeah, that's a great example. Of that so I did a little bit of homework on um, this thing called judo and a fun fact or not and I think what you've just done for us David is actually marry up what you've you've told us about your experience and what you've noticed in your own learning over the time so I've got you know judo is unlike most other martial arts judo is unified it's not fragmented there are no different styles there's no political or religious affiliation. It's an efficient grappling sport and an excellent self-defence sport. And it's often used for self-defence. But what I'm hearing from you is that it's greater than self-defence. It's about being centred, about personal space, about mastery over situation, developing a craft, considering others. Am I off the mark? No, I 
I agree with you there. And I mean, my, my personal view of judo is for me, it's a sport. I don't see it as yeah. a form of self-defense in a practical sense. Okay. But I feel as though it gives you the tools to know that you don't have to use them. And there's been, there's been many times as a younger man that I got into the odd scuffle and you know, I was very fortunate and I was a very naive and sort of arrogant young man at times. And you know, as I've grown and developed and I've realized, you know, there's times when, again, things could have happened. And I think with the, what the judo and maturity taught me was there's another way. You don't have to get physically involved and there's a way of handling a situation other than by using violence. But I think having the knowledge that if it did come to that point, that I would have some tools to hopefully defend myself gives you a, a certain confidence in a situation where you, you don't have to use that, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that becomes your, your tool, in a way, your life toolkit that you can apply in life and work. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, you have a lot to do with young children and the development of, of watching them grow. If they come into you at about, what, six, six or seven? Is there an age? Four. Four. Wow. Yeah, we're four and five year olds. That's our sort of our younger class that we, we work with. Yeah. And all the way up to uh, well, the, the kids' class is up to about twelve. And then there's a group of younger to our teenagers that I work with as well. If they've they've stayed with you, you would have seen quite a development of them from all the way through. What could you pinpoint and say would have been perhaps something that's been surprising to notice? about their development or something now that you know is a definite about their development? I always, I'm always amazed when, when I come off the, the session and there's this group of kids and some of them, they, they turn up and they're very overwhelmed by the whole situation. And there's a lot of other kids in the room and they don't know who they are and it's a very foreign environment to them. And timid, some of them straight away, they, they run onto the mat and they're running around and they're joining in. And, you know, I look at the attitude that they have and how inquisitive they are and how willing they are to just give something a go and get involved and have a go. And some of them leave and they never come back, but at least they give it a go. <laughs> and some of them, some of them stick at it and you know, they've been coming for years now. And it really look at my friends and certain you know, adults that I meet and how unwilling adults are to sometimes give new things a try. And we, we lose that childish, inquisitive, let's just have a go attitude. And it's probably the, something that surprises me the most that we sometimes forget that we were once kids and we once behaved that way and we were very yeah. inquisitive and we were putting ourselves out there. And at, at some point along the way, we either forget that or we stop doing it. And I think we potentially can end up missing out on a lot of adventures and interesting experiences as adults because we become a bit more reserved and we you know, worry a little bit more about the little things. And as a child, they don't, they don't worry about them things for the most part. And they, even if they are, they, they sometimes overcome them worries and just have a go. And for me, the, something I had to try and take away from mm. something the kids teach me and, and remind me to always have that inquisitive nature, asking questions, oh, what's going on <laughs> over there and getting involved. Yeah, and that is so true, isn't it? We often are fearful because we have preconceived ideas about something or we go, no, that's not for us. 
and yeah. we're not open to what the experience may lead us to. And so thanks for that. I imagine that you walk away feeling pretty happy most days when you've seen kids who who perhaps thought they might have given up on it continue to keep giving it a go. So that notion of bouncing back and keep trying, yeah, that's that's something that's really rich and would make you feel like you've got a, a bit of a sparkling moment going on, <laughs> which is great. I was going to ask you also, you've got a great interest and skill base now in mindfulness that you've developed over the years. Um, yeah. Do you have a, one little technique that you might share with us? Because I know there's listeners all around the world now listening to judo expert who, who now we're claiming as Australian, by the way, not British, <laughs> but Australian. Would there be a technique, a mindfulness technique, that you would use fairly regularly with yourself and with your students, your your judo students, that you have found easy to remember, easy to apply, and effective in results? I suppose two things. One, one thing that I use of my myself probably on a daily basis is the realisation that a lot of the times the unproductive states of being that we end up in we're we're feeding that we're giving energy so if if we're angry about something it's usually because we're thinking about the thing that's making us angry and it's just feeding into this feeding into this and it's just making us probably more angry or making us keeping us in a state of anger for longer for example so one thing that i've learned for myself is when i realize this my little internal voice says david is not going to give this thought any more energy. Ah. And then inevitably, my mind will go straight back to the, the thought that's making me angry. And I'll think again, David is not going to give this thought any more energy. And slowly but surely, the anger will diminish or whatever the unproductive state is I'm in will diminish. Now, it might take a couple of repetitions and inevitably, like a couple of minutes later, the, the thought might slip back in that was, you know, making me uh, angry or, or whatever it is. And again, I'll just... David is not going to give this thought any more energy. And that's something I found when I first heard about this kind of technique and the idea that, you know, most of the time it's our own fault that we are, you know, feeding these unproductive states and Mm. that we can develop skills to try and manage that and was quite revolutionary for me at the time. Yeah. Um, You just realize how much of the day you spend sort of potentially in these states where it's a complete waste of time and you can do something to minimize that. Thank you. That's a fantastic technique. And, you know, you're right. It takes up so much time and energy. And we know from the research that negative emotions are highly contagious. So they're contagious for those around us as well. So you, as a mentor, as a teacher, as a guide and as a companion to your students, and also for their their parents who are trusting you with their children here, you don't want that to be contagious. You actually want can-do attitude that when you said earlier, you said, you know, that saying, just go for it. You just want that just go for it attitude to, to give something you a try and to remain open to curiosity and learning. So that's why I really like that technique. So thank you very much for sharing that. Well, uh, another, just quickly, another one, because I know you mentioned with the with children. So one thing I do myself, this one is one that I try and get the children to think about when, because inevitably, you know, you'll see one of them, lash out or you know behave unproductively in the moment and let's pull them on one side and just say listen when you feel as though something like that's going to happen just try and ask yourself is this worthwhile if i'm going to push that person because maybe they said something to me and i'm going to push them and i 
I feel that this is, this is going to happen, try and stop and ask yourself, is this going to be worthwhile to proceed with this behavior? And if the answer is no, are you able to then not push that person or answer back or whatever it, uh, the action may be? Hmm. And obviously that's something I've, I've tried to develop myself you know, to, to stop and go, okay, well, is it going to be worthwhile if I proceed down this, this avenue? And that's just something I try and, you know, and for the most part, it goes in one ear and out the other. <laughs> but I feel if I just keep chipping away at them, you know, eventually some yes. of them is going to, going to get yeah. in there and hopefully they'll have realizations a lot sooner than I did. On the most cases, would there be a bit of laughter going on in your sessions? It's oh, yeah. not all serious concentrating, is there? There'd have no. to be some, some funny things. <laughs> No, the, the kids are fantastic. I mean, there's, there's probably about 60-odd kids in the, that come to the club at different times. Hopefully, hopefully not all the same time or we'd struggle. Um, yeah. But, you know, they come to the different classes and they're fantastic little personalities. And, you know, there's always, there's always somebody says something or does something. And I think it's very important that we all have a bit of a laugh. And I try not... I mean, there's times when, you know, you've got to have more of a serious attitude because you've got to think of people's safety and you've got to... Yeah, there is a point that they've come to learn, so it can't just be a constant um, mess around, obviously. But you know, there's times in the sessions where there's there's able, you know, they're able to express themselves, and we are able to have a bit more fun. And I really encourage that because, well, it's, I want it to be fun for me uh, yeah. as much as I want it to be them. I don't need to be, I don't want to be serious all the time. As a child, I definitely know they don't want it to be serious all the time. So, no. oh, it's great. Oh, I thoroughly enjoyed what you've been telling us today. And you obviously love what you do. Uh, the skill base that you've developed over the years, how you've been able to use that in your life and work, and now how you're able to mentor that and be a role model for our young people in a s sport that is not just for sports states. You obviously love what you do. And that comes out with how you've discussed the all your ideas around judo is for learning. It's about attitude. But it also comes through very clearly that the benefits of this sport and being in a situation where you're coached and mentored and your technique is developed has life benefit as well. So thanks for sharing all those today. Yeah, if you were to leave us with a little message, what would you like to say to everybody? I suppose with emotional intelligence and the mindfulness and the arena that we, we work in, the corporate field it can become quite focused on this will benefit you in the workplace and i think quite often it's overlooked that the, the development of these ei skills and mindfulness will benefit you every walk of life it's not just something that you would sort of switch on so it's not something that just benefits me at judo it, it's something that's percolated into every every corner of my life into my relationships my friendships and um, relationships with my family it's every area of my life has benefited from the tools I've learned from through the judo into the mindfulness into the emotional intelligence and I think quite often we can become too focused on it being this is going to make you a better leader at business this is going to make you a better coach or you know it's and it's Sometimes it doesn't come across that actually this is going to make you potentially a better person in every walk of life. And I think that's something we, we should we remember that the, these tools are just going to help uh, yeah. in, in every, every aspect. And obviously yeah. the, more, the more we spread that and more people that learn, you know, and it's just going to have that net benefit across everything. Well, the world is here for us to make it better. And if we all show up the best we can each day, 
Well, then surely there's a great dividend coming our way for our, um, our younger people who are watching, who are being involved with us or watching us. You know, when we're long gone, they will be then bringing up their own families, leading their own businesses, um, putting their, their foot forward. So thank you, David. Now, listeners, if you would like to know more about David, where's your best contact, David? If you've got my LinkedIn and or my email, uh, david.groom at journalsinternational.com. And usually we say to everybody today, you know, what's listeners, what's your call to action after having a conversation with David today? I have got a little note to myself here where you said it's a beginner's mind. So your call to action this week could be all about your beginner's mind. Always be prepared to wear the why belt. Why would I do it? If I did this, what might happen? Why would I go ahead and, and do something differently to what I've always done? What could be the benefits? That basic curiosity that keeps us there. And that came out uh, strong, David, today, with your also your keen sense of learning, that learning is continual, and that our attitude, how we show up, is all about just going for it. So I thank you for that. And listeners, that's your challenge for the week. If you'd like to know more about... What I do as a leadership coach will then visit carriebenedette.com. And more importantly, don't forget to like Thriving Matters podcast. Give us a thumbs up. It's always appreciated. So once again, thank you, David. Don't forget, everybody, give life a red hot shot because thriving matters. See you next time. 